Welcome to the BGSM Podcast. I'm Daniel Friedman, and today I'm very excited to be speaking with Associate Professor Daniel Bellavy about exercise for low back pain. Dr. Bellavy is an Associate Professor from the Institute of Physical Activity and Nutrition at Deakin University in Melbourne. Dr. Bellavy is a back pain and spine researcher and leader of the Spine Research Group at Deakin. Dr. Bellavy, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you, Daniel. What is non-specific, chronic, or persistent low back pain, and why is it such a big problem? Chronic back pain is back pain that lasts for more than 12 weeks, and um, it's something that affects, uh, in Australia at least, around about 16% of the population at any time. And in terms of the, the costs of back pain, as, as I'm sure your audience knows, the, the back pain is the greatest cause of disability and loss productivity worldwide. And it's in particular in, in developed regions such as the US, Japan, Europe, Australia, where um, it generates significant costs. Around about 90% of, of chronic back pain is what we call as, as non-specific, where there's no clear diagnosis can be made. And it's specifically in this that, that non-specific back pain, which therefore generates the, the majority of the costs. Your very popular recent network meta-analysis and systematic review published in BGSM identified specific kinds of exercise training that are helpful for adults with non-specific chronic low back pain. Can you tell us a bit about the study? Well, the motivation for the study was that um, we knew that exercise is, is good for for chronic non-specific back pain, so chronic back pain in general. And that, that, that was known, that's been shown in a number of, uh, of good um, meta-analyses. And what had also been done before was that um, individual kinds of exercise, um, such as, say, stabilization exercise, say, yoga, say, um, Pilates, um, had been looked at in, in, in individual meta-analyses or, or pairwise meta-analyses where they were compared to, to either to non-exercise or to other forms of exercise. But what we didn't know as much about is um, the relative difference between the different kinds of exercise which which kinds of exercise are better is it just all exercise is it any kind of exercise or are there certain kinds of exercise that are potentially better for for chronic back pain than than others who are the patients included in this review as as we touched on at the start we we were looking at um at chronic non-specific back pain so um so patients with with back pain for for more than 12 weeks um who uh otherwise don't fit a a specific diagnosis so i think maybe for clarity specific refers to say if you've got ridiculous syndromes such as uh, as a nerve root compression or if you've got um, spinal stenosis they're more specific types of back pain that have a, a different kind of uh, of management and also under the the specific category uh, are things like that wouldn't be managed directly, say, by a physiotherapist or, or a sports physician necessarily, would be um, uh, things like malignancy in the spine, uh, a, a vertebral fracture, where there's very clear specific causes. And so we're talking about those categories of back pain, which which, which includes things like when people say it's, it might be disc degeneration uh, or, or spondylolysis, that will often will typically fall under that, um, that non-specific category. At the coalface, patients' major complaints about their back are usually about pain and function. In mm -hmm. your review, what were the effects of different exercise on pain and, secondly, physical function? In the review, we look, as I said, we looked at different kinds of exercise. So, for example, resistance exercise, uh, stabilization exercise, aerobic exercise, Pilates, and so forth. What what we found is that I guess the way the way I try to try to summarise it overall is that active exercise therapies uh, where a patient is is taken through 
exercised by a, a trained clinician and guided in, in improving their movement, improving their, their function, improving their capacity, um, that those kinds of exercise tend to be more effective than, than more sort of passive kinds of exercise, say stretching or, 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 or passive interventions. And, and more specifically, exercise types such as prog progressive resistance exercise, stabilization and motor control exercise, Pilates, um, and, and aerobic exercise came out as, uh, as uh, appearing, appearing to be more beneficial than some other kinds of exercise and also um, than more passive therapies. How were you able to compare so many different types of exercise? Was this a feature of the network meta-analysis? That, that is a particular feature of network meta-analysis, that um, you're able to compare different kinds of interventions or control interventions um, via a network. So I, the best way for the, for the listener to, to visualize is to bring up our paper on, on in BJSM and look at figure three, where we show the the, the networks to the interventions. So, so you, you have, for example, stabilization exercise compared to, say, a, a multimodal type of exercise or a, a, a no intervention, true control, so no treatment. But then you also have other kinds of treatment, such as, say, um, stretching exercise compared to stabilization and, say, to two control. So you, you, you might not have stretching and another kind of exercise directly compared, but via that network, you can estimate, um, assuming certain statistical assumptions are met, you can compare the different kinds of, of interventions to each other. I know we've already mentioned a few different types of exercise, but I was wondering, does stretching play a role in any of this? Well, we looked at stretching as well too, and um, it turned out that that, that wasn't very effective uh, for for, for chronic non-specific back pain. Um, having said that, I mean, one of the things that uh, I noticed in the, in the studies that often the stretching was used as sort of a, a, a control intervention where, people, where a group was given stretch, stretching exercise to give them a, a kind of, um, uh, of treatment but without have being the most effective treatment. Um, so I do sometimes wonder whether that was part of the reason why stretching came out so, um, so, so poorly in the, in the analysis. What about passive therapies, such as heat or cold therapy, massage or acupuncture? Well, we, we looked at those kinds of treatments as well, too. So whether it's, say, massage or whether it's heat and cold type therapies. And we, we had, a, I guess, a control group where, they, where there were patients that received those kinds of passive therapies. So whether it's receiving massage or, or a, a, kind of, a kind of electrotherapy. Um, or heat and cold. Uh, so we did look at those as well too, but we didn't look at them separately, if you know what I mean. So, but overall, it turns out that uh, that those passive therapies tend not to be very effective for for chronic non-specific back pain. Having said that, we did know that massage wasn't very by itself wasn't very effective for, for chronic back pain. It may make you feel good in the short term, but as as a course of treatment, it, it generally won't help you. And that's something we've known for a long time. How do the results of your review compare with current recommendations in Australia or elsewhere for persistent or chronic low back pain? Yeah, that is a good question. Um, I mean, the rec in so far they're largely consistent because the guidelines guidelines already say that you know exercise should be done for um, for for chronic um, back pain, and that that's been, that recommendation has been around for a long time. I guess what we're trying to do is to is to add to that to, to see if we can provide some more specific recommendations as to what kinds of exercise are potentially more beneficial. And I think it'll take a while for for these kinds of findings, such as from from our review, to flow into into guidelines. In part because we looked at the quality of, of the evidence as well too, and there is, it was often fairly low quality evidence. And 
before we start making recommendations, you want to have a much more a much higher level of confidence um, with 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 that evidence before you start saying, okay, let's let's do you know these four kinds of exercise only, and to the exclusion of all others. So if we accept the benefits of exercise on mm-hmm. low back pain, mm-hmm. if we take it down to more of the molecular level, what effects does walking or running have on intervertebral disc health? Okay, so they're touching on a point where, um, where a paper that I studied, I published a few um, years ago, so I think in 2017 now, we, we looked at for the first time the, the question of whether exercise can be good for, for the uh, discs in the, in the spine. Up until then, there was a general, uh, I guess, assumption in, in, the, sp- in the spine uh, orthopedic type by uh, mechanical community that that running would be bad for for the discs in the spine. Um, but after doing a, a thorough review of the literature um, back from about, about around 2014 to, to 16, um, I, I, I found that there was no evidence that running was necessarily bad for the spine. Um, rather, some evidence that it may actually be beneficial or at the very least not, not detrimental. So I ended up um, running a study where we um, looked at, at marathon runners and looked at regular joggers, looked at people who um, didn't do any kind of exercise. Um, but of course, they're all, all, all pain-free, so, um, so no, no history of, of, of major spinal problems or no current pain. And um, it turns out that the the runners did have better discs in their spine as we measure it by um, looking at something which is related to the amount of water content and amount of um, uh, um, glycosaminic glycane content in the discs in the spine. Um, so that was really an interesting finding um, and did surprise a number of people. Of course, some people would always had responded by saying, well, we always knew that running was good for your spine, um, but uh, it was the first time it was actually shown and contradicted uh, uh, the, the, the mindset in a number of fields. And what about cycling? I've read that as many as half of cyclists experience low back pain, and many patients and other clinicians I have spoken to are scared that cycling causes spinal problems because of awkward postures. The information about cycling is, uh, where people are saying the cycling might be bad for your spine, um, is not really based on a really, on really good thorough data. I mean, when when I was, we also published a published paper. We we also looked at cyclists in that study of of the of the spine, and we published that um, paper in Medicine, Science, Sports, and Exercise. And um, that one, when I was doing the, the the background reading for it. The, the prevalence of, of back pain in cyclists, um, it's, it's a very, I can't give you the exact numbers now, but it, it's a very wide range. Um, but it more or less is at around about the same range of, of back pain in the wide community. So it, it doesn't look as though cyclists actually get back pain more often than the non-cyclists. There might be other reasons, but I mean, there might be bike setup and those sorts of things that you can change. But it, at least on the data that's out there on, on the, the, the prevalence of back pain, that back pain isn't really more common in cyclists than in non-cyclists. So um, from that point of view, cycling is unlikely to be a, a problem for, for back pain or, or to cause back pain necessarily, even if some of those prolonged postures, as I'm sure you, sure you know from, from having done cycling, um, that some of those prolonged postures and the bike can set up right, um, that, or if you've got pre-existing problems, that that might exacerbate it. And in the study that we that we published, uh, to my own surprise, to be honest, um, the cyclists had better discs in their spine than than the non-cyclists. And um, and I was also extra careful about making sure we're matching people up to make sure that that we're comparing, you know, people of similar ages and heights and those sorts of things. And the cyclists end up uh, are better than the non-cyclists. 
I'd like to continue talking about prolonged postures. As you put, mm-hmm. many of our listeners and their patients are forced to sit down at work from nine to five, Monday to Friday. What do mm. we know about sitting in a chair all day and its relationship with back pain? Yeah, I, I think uh, the the prevalent uh, uh, a, a widespread opinion is that is that the, the prolonged sitting uh, makes your back hurt. Um, and you know, and sure, I do know from myself as well. If you sit in front of a, a computer for a long period, a long period of time in that static um, position, um, that sometimes you might get a bit sore. But the reality is have, that sitting itself is not a risk factor for back pain. So we published a umbrella review last year where we looked at systematic reviews for for uh, on a various number of biomechanical. Uh, potential biomechanical risk factors for for back pain. So, for example, um, you know, we looked at whole body vibration exposure or we looked at uh, uh, lifting tasks um, being performed regularly and also sitting as well too. And we found pretty good evidence that sitting itself is is neither associated um, nor is a risk factor for, um, for back pain. So I guess the way to conceptualise that is that, sure, you might get a bit stiff and sore. So if you sit in one position for, for hours on end, but it won't actually be a risk factor for um, for, for hurting your spine uh, or for, for causing an injury. Based on your research, what are your three key takeaways for our listeners, the sport and exercise medicine community, about low back pain? Okay, well, I think the, the first main um, take-home message is that in terms of treating chronic nonspecific back pain, that active exercise therapy is so um, exercise therapy where the patient's taken through a structured program by a skilled um, clinician or trained clinician to improve their their function, improve their confidence, that's uh, more likely to have a a, a better impact on on the person's function and disability and and pain um, than either um, passive exercise therapies or some other forms of exercise. Um, And those active exercise therapies uh, could include things like stabilization mode control, resistance exercise, Pilates and aerobic exercise, but it won't necessarily be restricted to those kinds of exercise. I think there'll be a few others that would be um, effective as well too, even if we didn't look at them in our our review. That's the first main point. The second thing to think about is that from from my point of view, I'm I'm a physiotherapist as well too, and and, uh, I've had my time uh, with patients and and where we try to to diagnose and say, you know, it's this structure, it's that structure is affected in, in uh, in this patient. But the reality of it is, is that whilst I'm might come to a certain diagnostic conclusion based upon the training that I'd had. Another clinician won't necessarily get that, come to that same conclusion. And that's one of the main challenges of, of, of non-specific back pain is that is that often we think we can we can diagnose it, but it won't necessarily either A, be the right diagnosis or B, um, other clinicians will come to a different a different conclusion. And I think what's important about that is that is that we don't get stuck on a particular diagnosis, especially if it's not staring us in the face, like some of those very specific um, uh, diagnoses for back pain. And often because it doesn't actually, doesn't actually change the management or necessarily change the outcome if, if we try to find a specific cause in non-specific back pain, at least currently. Um, so, and that, that's where, you know, following the current guidelines is, is obviously very, very helpful because, uh, because it guides us towards the, the most effective treatments. And the third point is that, as I alluded to in the, in the previous point, that we do need to get better at, at subgrouping, in my opinion, at least, at subgrouping in, in, in non-specific back pain. So, and this is something for future research that, that we need, uh, more of a 
from my point of view, data-driven approach. We would look at things like, you know, what are the psychological factors in a patient? Are there any, say, uh, say sensitization of pain in, in, in a particular patient? Maybe there are issues of muscle weakness or actual damage to spinal structures that are, that are uh, related to this uh, persistent, non-specific back pain. And I think in in the long term, what we need to look at is to is to see okay, can we find subgroups in this in this larger collective of non-specific back pain based upon um, looking at those uh, uh, different known areas that are affected in chronic back pain. Dr. Bellavi, if our listeners would like to find out more about non-specific chronic low back pain or find out what you're up to, where should they go? Mm-hmm. Um, well, obviously, they can first of all look at our um, paper on BJSM. There is also a very a good resource in published in the Lancet a couple of years ago now, which gives some very, very, very good overview of of, uh, of chronic uh, back pain, also non-specific back pain. Um, and if they, of course, want to reach out to me, um, you know, I'm reachable via email and on Twitter as well too at um, at, at Spine on Twitter and uh, and Bellavie at gmail.com. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for listening to this BJSM podcast with Associate Professor Daniel Bellavie. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with friends or leave us a review and connect through our social media channels. You can listen to a new clinically relevant BJSM podcast every Friday, and there is no better place to find them than on the BJSM app. As always, we hope you have a physically active day.